welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I mean, okay, so we have a plan for the off season. I was going to wait until next week to kind of drop this on everybody who's listening, but this is our second to last episode with all of us together for the year, which is pretty sad. I mean, we might all come together to talk about, do another season recap or something along those lines. I mean, I'm not saying like we're never going to get back together until 2022, 2023. Wait, what about my Christmas quiz? The infamous Christmas quiz. (laughs) Yeah, we can all get together for Christmas, for a Christmas episode. That'd be awesome. (laughs) The origins of Debbie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this year, maybe we can all um uh, partake in alcohol consumption. Gracie's already getting a head start, I noticed. <laughs> Love that for yeah. you. Yeah. No, it's just it's just cordial in a wine glass. I'm just trying to make it more fancy. Continuing <laughs> <laughs> to disappoint me, Gracie. I know. I was gonna go for the lemon lime bitters so it looked at least like um a kid's drink, but I went for the lime and that's why it looks like white wine. You're just gone with it. You can be like, yeah. And are you like, wow, she's really chucking that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did to be fair, I don't know what it says about me, but I was just like, yeah, fair. Go for it. <laughs> but but it is fair because we're but for Gracie, yeah, it's like 5 p.m., right? Or well, almost, almost 5 6 p.m. PM. Well, there you go. So, yeah, That's definitely fine. allowed. It's but like it's a week. It's a school night, so I'll be good. <laughs> well, okay. As you just heard, Amy and Gracie are here. We also have Lauren and Tilda. Yeah, hello. Good morning. All on the same time zone, almost. <laughs> almost. Sort of. Almost. <laughs> Tilda's got to wake up like brutally early for these podcast recordings. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my life together for winter. Wake up early, beat the old seasonal depression so it's fine it's fine <laughs> except when you wake up early in the winter it's still dark out so it's like you wake up and it's like no yeah no, it's actually dark at like 7 a.m here what's that about and the clocks haven't even changed yet i feel like that happens every winter where you like start to enter winter and you're like wait why is it so dark it wasn't like this last I know, year I always even forget though it was. <laughs> yeah well. anyway to bike racing. The whole crew is here. We're very excited to talk about bike racing. We're going to talk a lot about transfers today because there's been a ton. Next week, we'll do a good season recap. And then we have some very exciting interviews in store for everybody over the winter. But before we dive into today's episode, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift recently kicked off their Grand Prix series. It's not your typical esports racing. It's a new style of racing that will require more skills, new tactics, and deliver high energy viewing experience for those watching at home. 24 teams have been selected to take part in the Grand Prix series, and they will see equal fields, format, and prize money for men and women. The format of the Grand Prix series is designed to allow the whole roster to shine and be exciting for viewers to follow all season long. The first round was a few weeks ago, but there's a women's race next Friday, October 14th at 6 p.m. Greenwich time. Gre- Greenwich. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, for sure that's wrong. <laughs> uh, you can watch all races live on Zwift's YouTube channel, so there's no geo-blocking. Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode and for changing the game when it comes to virtual racing. Well, 
I think I'm just looking out the window now and it's horrendous out there. So I think my six-month block of Zwift is about to start. Very nice. (laughs) Yep. It is about that time of year. I'm excited to get going on Zwift. I've been doing a couple rides, but I feel like now I'm going to kind of start breaking into their their workouts that I just love. I love all the workouts that are in there. Should we start with transfers and then talk about Tour de Romandie that starts, well, today as you're listening to this? I think we should start with transfers or kind of the other news pieces. We got a couple like little news drops over the week. Uh, one of them is that Pauline Fran Prevost is racing Gravel Worlds, and she could possibly be picked up by Ineos next year. Not necessarily they're going to start a women's team, but like in an individual sponsorship kind of role. Um, But if PFP wins Gravel Worlds, she will have a lot of world champ jerseys on her wall. (laughs) Or in two months. Yeah, that is two months, right? From like end of August till now. Yeah, yeah. It that'd yeah. be super impressive for sure. Cause she won Marathon Mountain Bike Worlds. She won the world's mountain bike, uh cross country mountain bike worlds, short track. Yeah, super impressive. Um, not to forget that she recently recently, she's one of the riders in the history of the sport who's held the road mountain cross titles all at the same time. So it's I think she's massively underrated. Yeah. As in, like, obviously she isn't underrated, but like she just doesn't get talked about in the same vein as other goats, I guess. I think because she's like a little bit inconsistent year to year. Like she has these incredible years where she just like sweeps up everything, but then she has years where she's not as dominant. And so she kind of like she's she's on like a roller coaster of like slight inconsistencies. And I think that's why she kind of gets looked over a little bit. Um, but this year is an up for her for sure. Tills, do you want to drop the facts on the Ineos thing? <laughs> we don't know the facts on the Ineos thing, do we? <laughs> Oh yeah, so um, we don't officially know. But yeah, so it, it came out this week. There was there was talk about Pauline Prevon Prevot signing for Ineos. Uh, and I think a lot of people got a little bit excited that this might be the start of an Ineos women's road team, or that Pauline was making a return to the road. But from further reports, uh I think Cycling Weekly had uh, it on quite good authority that it is more of an MTB thing. Um, and whether that's an individual relationship between Ineos and Pauline or a team, we're not quite sure, but it would, it would make sense for um, Ineos to kind of register themselves as an MTB team because they've got this guy, Tom Pidcock. I don't know if you've heard of him. I don't really know who he is, but he races MTB, but he does it as kind of an individual because Ineos aren't actually a registered mountain biking team. So it kind of makes sense for them to register as a team so they can kind of properly support Tom and, and you know, they've got bags of money. Why would you not just look at the sport and think, who's the best female rider? Let's sign her. So haven't they yes. loved Evie Richards as well? I saw. Oh, really? Is that, is that have I seen that? Some, oh, yeah, that was hell, a right. rumor that I, I heard that as well. I would be pretty shocked to see her leave Trek. Like, I think she's got so a pretty I. incredible setup over there. But, yeah, and I know she's 
she's you know already scheduled into a track training camp all winter and stuff that totally makes sense though if like and you also want to start a team just so that they can get, like officially have their branding on Pidcock because he kind of already wears the branding anyway, but maybe they needed to make it more official or something. Yeah. Um, the, the, the bike uh, question is the weird one, isn't it? Because yeah. But yeah, I guess Pinarello it, don't make a mountain bike. But apparently they are developing one, but for 2024, because they just developed a cross bike basically for Tom. Um, but also it, it it kind of makes sense to have you know, they're two riders who are already on BMC. They could both continue on BMC. Um, there's only one men's world tour team that rides BMC. So, you know, maybe Pinarello and Ineos and all of that, if 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 we're thinking about their road branding, wouldn't mind the riders riding on BMC. I don't really know how these things work. But yeah, I don't think that's going to like get in the way of it. And if it means that Pinarello develop a, a mountain bike, then that's interesting i suppose if you like that kind of thing i feel like i remember wow van art racing cross on like a fully blacked out cannondale like before cervello made their cross bike last year he was racing on just like a well people think it was a cannondale but it was just like a bike and that Mario was, Navos was doing that too yeah yeah, yeah it's quite common i guess if, i mean what what you meant to do if your bike sponsor doesn't manufacture the bike that you need to race on we're getting into like Ronin territory now. <laughs> we are. This is very uncharacteristic. Yes. Well, to, to circle back to women's cycling, I bet that Ineos will never have a women's road team. It's like the most nah. masculine team, most masculine sponsors. They do not give a shit. And it's easy to just get a female mountain biker because that's a cooler sport, more of a masculine sport, arguably. And she already has her own support team, so she doesn't need... Which is probably less high maintenance as they would think a women's road team would be. I certainly have heard, not from Ineos, but like over the years, comments from various uh, men's team owners saying that it's just too much work and it's too hard to have a women's team for reasons A through to Z. And you're like, all right, mate, sure. (laughs) I mean, women are hard to manage. Yeah. So many emotions. Yeah. Yeah, they cry a lot. Mm, unbelievable <laughs> I'm, I mean you're right though like when it comes to like forming a structured environment for her and all the resources they don't need to they, they're like getting the best of both worlds by picking up the best in the world who already has everything at her disposal all, all they need to do is like hand over a lot of money and they don't need to go out and find like especially when it comes to mountain bike versus road like they don't need to go find a director they don't need to go find like a ton of vehicles and a service course and everything mountain biking it's way smaller scale so totally makes sense and they they can still you know hand her a pinarello and (laughs) take photos of her riding around on the road in the ineos kit so they kind of get that as well um i i don't think she's ever gonna race road again honestly like i think that she she just doesn't her her skills like yeah, she's got skills in every single discipline, but she, it seems to me that she enjoys mountain biking more. And there's a reason that she picked it because any team would have had her, you know? Yeah. And I think the kind of enjoyment factor goes a long way. Like we can sit here and think, oh, but maybe she wants to ride the Tour de France farm or something like that. But she's in a position where she can do what just makes her happiest. And I think it's kind of clear that that's not road anymore. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. 
Um, to um, I, I hope that Amy does a rant for this one. Ride London <laughs> is going to stay in the world tour. Uh, if everyone remembers earlier in the year, we had to rely heavily on Tilda for our Ride London episode because there was like no live coverage. <laughs> and for a world tour event, it's not only is it not allowed, it's also just not acceptable. So interesting decision by the UCI to keep Ride London in the world tour, um, and give them another chance when they have, they booted the Giro for kind of the same reason. Um, this is like such an interesting conversation. Cause like I, I wrote the tour to Roman D preview. I can't find any information about live coverage, literally nothing. I found like one page on Eurosport that has no information at all. It's just the title of the race and then a blank page. Um, and I feel like, wasn't there a rule in the beginning of the world tour calendar where a race had to be, had to exist for more than one year before it was able to join the world tour or am I making that up no that used to be a thing yeah I think yeah it's a team it was a thing for teams for sure yeah but we have all these new races joining and like I mean Ride London isn't new but I think this was kind of a disappoint disappointing bit of news to drop this week and did you find live coverage or not? Because I remember seeing something on the chat. You said something to do with Eurosport or no? I mean, I'm pretty sure there will be live coverage, but I can't find like it. It's not on GCN at the moment and maybe they'll update it today. I mean, as we're recording, the race starts tomorrow. So it's a little bit like tight for <laughs> there to be no information about live coverage. Oh, wait, starts Friday. Today is Wednesday. Um, so maybe one of the local TV channels or something. And I guess that is coverage. I don't know. Yeah. It is, but should we have to like ferret around the internet and use VPN to watch? Not a for tour a world race? tour race. If it, was an, if it wasn't world tour, then it would still be annoying, but it would be like, okay, fair. In fairness, but, though, if that happens, that's not the organizers' fault because they are still providing life coverage. That would be GCN's fault for not mm. purchasing the rights. Mm. Am I correct? Yeah. Which they've done this before, though, where they've like last minute swooped in and bought mm-hmm. the rights to a race. It's it's a shame. Um, but to go back to Ride London, I mean, I did me rant on cyclingtips.com. That's why I added in here, Amy Rant, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> And it was a great headline, picks or it don't count, (laughs) or it doesn't count. I liked it. Thanks. I'm (laughs) glad you appreciated that. Um, No, but basically, like, the long and short of it is why the inconsistency between the Giro in 2020 that got demoted in 2021 to Point Pro for the same thing and then had to prove themselves by providing live coverage that year, then got promoted versus Ride London where they're just like, oh, yeah, cool. You've got like some, I don't even know this. Money? Proof. They didn't even say what. But they've got, <laughs> even that though, it's kind of like the only proof, this is what I said, like the only proof that they can, they're going to do it is that they actually do it. So like that's why they should spend a year at Point Pro level. And then if they do have all these contracts live coverage, mm-hmm. show that. And then get promoted back up to world tour level because just because they've got what an email or something that says like yeah we're going to do it well they've well they had that done it. they had it this year like they said they were going to have live coverage this year because um, 
the the run up series did a run up to ride London and there was no live coverage and I I tweeted something and I got a response from Jose who's involved with the run up series and she told me that they had 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 uh ride London the ride London organizers tell them that they would there would be live coverage so they said li- like this year yeah, we'll have live coverage. And we've seen this from the tour, the women's tour multiple times. And this was the first year that they actually came through with it. So yeah, it just saying, oh yeah, we're going to have live coverage is not. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. The women's tour last year, the same thing happened. No, they didn't. No, have, they didn't. No, and we didn't talk have, about it. Remember? Cause it, we joked that the, the race didn't exist if you couldn't see it or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was also like such a weird time in the calendar last year because of the, covid so they had to delay it to that very end of the season it was after i can see that more if like in the in a year where the calendar was still disrupted because of covid like that's fair but this year like what reason did ride london have actually to not have live coverage and then so yeah the problem is really just the fact that they're not following through on their threats to demote races that don't have live coverage and then what kind of example does that set that's my problem with it too is that like other organizers will look at that and be like oh right well it's okay then if we just like let the ball drop a little bit on this one and then we'll still be world tour next year anyway yeah I agree with that and you know we got those comments earlier in the season in those couple of the Spanish races in May of the race director going oh I'm just doing this because it's trendy or like you know because I should and I don't really care and those are the kind of people that are going to see this and be like oh well we can get away with the minimum let's just keep doing that (laughs) yeah exactly I feel like um just while we're on the topic of the world tour and joining the world tour we should I was wondering, Amy, if you could also clarify the tweet yesterday from Matthew about the, he mentioned um, promotion for the world tour teams. And I feel like people are maybe confused about how the women's world tour teams become world tour because the women don't have the same relegation battle that the men have. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, quite funny that you're coming to me on this because I had to get Tilda to explain it to me yesterday, but... (laughs) Um, (laughs) basically there's no relegation and there's no promotion either really but it's like there's certain criteria that women's world tour teams have to meet to get the license so there's like ethical financial um various like admin things that they have to hoops that they have to jump through um and there's only one spot left for next year in the women's world tour um and there's a few teams that potentially want that spot and so if all of them apply it'll come down to points so he was trying to say basically that um at the time it looked like it was between Lacole Wahoo and Saratizu WNT um and they were kind of neck and neck on points in fact um Mayo from Lacole Wahoo's second place yesterday in Belgium was enough to for them to leapfrog Sarah Tizit. Um so he was kind of saying like these two races that happened yesterday, the one days on a random Tuesday, um would affect potentially like who was going to get the license. But then 
Lacole Wahoo did come out and say they wanted to go world tour for 2023 at the beginning of this year. But then throughout the season, um, their general manager, Tom, made various comments to the effect of like, we're not going to do it just yet. Um, and then I think Ceratis have been public about wanting to, but actually the highest continental, sorry, this is a really long explanation. The highest Conti team on the rankings is um, Valcar, but obviously Valcar have already in the past been the highest one and they don't want to be World Tour. We'll get um, into them in a minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the next one is Planty mm. Pura, who again had not said they wanted to be World Tour until yesterday afternoon when the manager just swooped in with some comments to Velonews saying that they had actually applied for the license. So before that, everyone thought it was between those two teams and there was this little tight battle, but then Planty Pura just came and they are like a shoe in for the for the license mm. now. So that's I, basically that. I don't know if um, you or Tilda will know the answer to this question, but can teams have their World Tour license revoked? Would the UCI even do that? Because surely there's like an instance where a team doesn't fulfill all of the obligations and they could have their license revoked, but whether or not the UCI would actually do it. Because like, yeah, I just wonder if like, for example, Kogas Edelweiss squad, Roland Edelweiss squad is still going to be a world tour team next year. Tilda's the leading expert on that team. Um, well, okay. So I, I think the thing is, uh, based on performance and things like that, no, uh, I don't think the UCI have any plans to do that. And I think that would go against the conditions under which they, they gave the teams, the world tour licenses, um, with the other stuff like money and, uh, ethical considerations and all of that. I assume, yes, if you fall below those standards, but the question is how often, are they kind of checking up on that? Because you have to submit a pretty detailed application and uh, provide proof of a certain sum of money uh, and things like minimum wage and everything like that when you apply. But I don't know how how they're kind of checking up on that. Um, but I, I think the UCI are planning to introduce a similar relegation and promotion system for the World Tour from... 2024, I want to say, where the licenses will be uh, given in three-year chunks. Um, so I, th- I think these ones were kind of given uh, with the idea of them being long-ish term, uh, these licenses. And as long as the teams can meet the criteria, uh, then they will meet them. But it's just we're kind of in a funny situation where last year, last year fewer teams applied for the world tour perhaps than expected so there were fewer applications and spots available so everyone just if they met the criteria just got the license whereas this year you've now got those teams like human powered health and roland cahiers edelweiss who if they were going now for the final world tour spot they wouldn't get it um but they have that license and we're looking at arguably better performing teams are fighting for the license and yeah that will kind of be ironed out when when slash if the UCI implement a relegation system, but you will have years like this where there are teams at the bottom of the world tour that are doing worse than teams at the top of the continental ranks. But the only other option is to have only year long uh, world tour licenses, which is also 
not always a great thing, especially for stability and sponsorship. So yeah, it's kind of an odd situation, but it's just the way that timing kind of works out. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to get used to because teams teams do go through ups and downs of performance and things like that. I think we can kind of uh, jump over to to talking about transfers a bit because one of the teams that Amy just mentioned is um, going to be the topic of of one of our major conversations today, which is Valkar, who we don't actually know like what is happening with Valkar, but a ton of their riders have been picked up by other teams, most of them by UAE Team ADQ. Um, they've picked up Sylvia Persico, Olivia, they, they've basically picked up most of the best riders on Valkar travel and service. Um, so it's like an interesting thing that's going on. And there are rumors that Valkar will become a U23 team, but we don't, we haven't confirmed it yet, but that is kind of where it looks like things are going over there. I think there's going to be some sort of development structure going on between Valkar and UAE. There's also the, the DS whose name escapes me, um, who's gone across to UAE as well. Um, Tilda's looking like that's incorrect. No, okay. Um, So, yeah, and they've picked up that trio of, like, the best, well, some of the best. Kira, and... Yeah, Persico and and Varial. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of looking like they're going to start up... um, Valkar being some sort of like development feeder team for UAE, which is a kind of following a pattern of a few different teams, which is nice to see actually, like proper development pathways coming through. Yeah, we have Canyon Jam have their generation team, obviously, and then uh, AG Insurance Next Gen is also, they're going to have a U23 team and then the World Tour team. Is Jumbo Visma or not? They have a men's like development team, feeder team for their men's world tour team, but I don't, I haven't heard anything about a women's mm. program. It makes but they, sense. They're kind of connected to Park yeah. Hotel, like in that, um, the. That's more SD works, isn't it? No, because, well, I don't know, because, um, the, the manager of Park Hotel became uh, the manager Ezra. of Yumbo yeah. Bisma. Yeah. Um, so there is like, there is a connection between Park Hotel Falkenberg and Yumbo Visma, but it's not like a formal, it's not a formal connection. It's just like how everything is in the world. Uh, you know, people who are able to advance you, <laughs> you know, so she would obviously know the riders on Park Hotel better than any other team having worked with them in the past. But I feel like as the Yumbo Visma has been established for multiple years at this point. She's now been, she's now removed kind of from the situation at Park Hotel. So um, that connection, which wasn't a formal one, doesn't, isn't going to exist in the future, I think. But Park Hotel Valkenberg being like a Dutch team, a Dutch uh, continental team, and then obviously SD Works and, Yambo Visma, the world tour team, Dutch world tour teams, then there is like a natural connection between the two of those. Three of them. And those. I guess also that there's probably more interest now in this under 23 development, not just for development purposes, but with the, the 2025 championships coming up and the talk of developing the calendar a little bit more for them, 
I don't know how that will look. Um, it makes sense. It'd be awesome to see some more unofficially under 23 teams emerging as development teams that uh, double as feeder teams because it's just what the sport needs and it's also good to just do it step by step in small stages and some of those development teams will have riders not in under 23s but it'd be good to get the majority of them as younger riders and it gives them that motivation to go well I know that I might have a a pathway there's a connection to this world tour team that's really you know exciting to to sign up to to maybe think that you could move on as you get better and and it's going to be really exciting to see that world championship separate race in the near future and um yeah hopefully some series before that to to get under 23 racing really on the map um for lots of reasons it's important um but in terms of Alcar, I've just heard so many different rumours this year about that team. It would be a real shame if we lost that team completely. But from what I've been hearing, I don't think it'll be the same as it has been. I think they might lose a bit of their positive culture that they've really cultivated the last few years and as a successful um, non-world tour unit. So, yeah, I want to see them continue, but I'm not sure if it'll be what it was, unfortunately, but yet to be seen. <laughs> I agree with with Gracie, but like it feels like we're losing a few of those teams. Like for me, Lakol Wahoo is a perfect team that's um, has that really great team culture and riders can come through there for a few years and develop. And it's great that they want to be world tour, but we've spoken about this before when too many teams want to get on the world tour bandwagon, then essentially we're going to lose these great development teams um, that help produce these awesome riders that we are seeing coming through. Um, and just, you know, being involved with the the juniors at the World Championships a couple of weeks ago now, um, one of the juniors, she steps up to, well, we'll call it under 23 next year, um, but it doesn't really exist, does it? And it, it was just crazy seeing her sitting in the dining room and chatting with like Grace Brown and realizing that they're direct competitors next year. Um, and she had just raced 67 kilometers. It was a really short race, a junior race. And it was hard to envision this young girl having to step up to that level. Um, and there's just no, no real transition, but I guess that could be a good segue into what the the bridge lane team is trying to do in Australia as well. But for these young riders from like the Oceania area and even like the US to make the jump to Europe is, is really difficult. And there's just not that many pathways. And when Gracie and I came through, we're still lucky that at that point in time, there was a bit of an AIS, um, will we call it a feeder team, a development team? that helped a few riders come through yeah. the national, national team. team. Um, we mm. lost that program for many years um, and hopefully that's going to come through again. But this is where we see, at least in Australia, as an example, these riders just fall away because if they can't cut it, it's like, well, you know, they still want to study and they still want to focus on um, academic pursuits or whatever their career path may be if if cycling doesn't work out. Um, and we just lose so many of them. I mean, Valcar has been the reason that that Italy is now churning out 
arguably better riders than the Dutch. <laughs> or if you just remove Anamique from the conversation, then like Italy has been the most consistent nation this year. Um, and it's partially in thanks to Valkar. Like they they keep finding these incredible young Italian riders. Um, and Olivia also is, she's Canadian, but like another young rider that they found that, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and like you just mentioned bridge lane. So they crowdfunded a women's team for next year and someone anonymously donated a hundred K. So that hopefully means that that team will have, you know, a good enough budget to get some riders off the ground in Australia. I wonder how much that has to do with the world's being there. Like just all the attention being on cycling for a little bit in Australia and if there's a connection, but whoever, I mean, yeah, that is such an incredible donation. And it's like, I'm up in the air about whether or not it's a good thing to crowdfund a team budget. Um, but that's neither here nor there when it means that a bunch of women will hopefully have support for next year. And with Cadell's coming back to the world tour and the tour down under and there being world tour racing back in Australia in January. Yeah. It's really exciting. It's an exciting time for Australian cycling. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. I just think like the, the real problem and it's something that we've talked about a bunch of times is too many world tour races. It's not, and that's meaning that now there's too many world tour teams because they want to go to all these races because there's no other races to go to. That's not true completely, but that's that's kind of the point of like, well, maybe if there were 15 to 18 World Tour races instead of however there aren't many there are now and you just have like nice a nice 12 to 15 World Tour teams and then you have a heap of other races and that encourages other teams to not be world tour teams and to be development teams. And then they get the wild card, ent wild card entries to some world tour races so they can get a taste of it. They get that opportunity to race against the world's best, but they're not getting smashed week in, week out for the whole season at world tour level. I mean, if you go back to the Red London conversation, that race just couldn't be world tour. Like, what if it just wasn't world tour? And it was a little bit closer in the calendar to it, it's pretty close to the women's tour. But like if there was only five days between the two, then you could have some of the world tour teams would go and they would race like Bride London, but it would mostly be continentals. There should be a pro team like but regardless. So it would mostly be non world tour teams and then like maybe a couple world tour teams send a team there to get ready. And that's like a really great scenario because you have the, the world tour riders that the other riders aspire to be, but the racing isn't as brutal. So it's like a nice entry point. And if it's got the, it's kind of like, you know, they used to have mm. Redlands in the U S and then the tour of California, like a week later. So if there was something like that, but there are definitely races on the world tour calendar that you look at and you're like mm, but why but counterpoint if you only had like less than 20 world tour races and they were the only ones that had to uh commit to the things that world tour races have to commit to 
like, wouldn't we just not be able to watch the races all the time and they'd be like shorter and all of this? And yeah, it, this is the thing that worries me is that the one thing I do like about the World Tour, like, I do agree that it's really busy, especially for the number of teams and like the number of experienced riders that teams have. But the one really positive thing is is the requirements that they put on races and and which they do mainly meet. Like we can talk about the ones that don't, but most of the the races this year have met the requirements. And I feel like if you then didn't have that, we would like be crying because we wouldn't be watching the races that we wanted to watch and stuff like that. I think the bigger I think, problem is the the re- how fast that they're adding races to the calendar. Like if they were to slowly add the same number of races over time, then we maybe wouldn't be having the same conversation. I think the answer to the whole kind of lower level teams having to go up against world tour teams would also be to have more lower level races to develop for riders to develop in so that, and also so that world tour teams aren't sending their full squads to like basically like a 1.1 or a one or a 2.1 isn't like basically a world tour race. Cause then, you know, I think. But they also have this weird thing, like for the men, the men's teams are all required to send a world tour, a, a team to every world tour race, but the women aren't. And so you also have world tour races where teams just like don't send a team because they don't have the riders and they don't have the means to send a team. Like we saw that in the spring when human powered health just like wasn't sending teams to, well, not just them. Like I feel like I pick on them more than any other team, but they just like weren't sending teams to a bunch of races because they didn't have the budget to like fly a team from Italy to the Netherlands and then back to Italy, which is like, its own problem, the the calendar, the way that the calendar is laid out, and it could be a lot more um, flowy. Like, say we have all the Italian one days, and then we move to Belgium and the Netherlands. Like, that would probably be better, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, if you had the world tour, if you were, if you built the world tour calendar up and world tour teams at the same time it, at a slower pace and then required all the world tour teams to send teams to the world tour races. I just feel like it would be, um, maybe teams would then think twice about becoming world tour teams, uh, if they don't actually have the means to do it. Um, but it would also make those races better. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is like a huge, we've dug into like a huge (laughs) conversation now. (laughs) Yeah, I can keep going. I've got more. <laughs> <laughs> well, do it. Go, Gracie. We got right. no rules well, here. Do you, do you think that we've reached a tipping point this year, particularly with the Tour de France firm, that we that some races, some sponsors, some race sponsors and team sponsors go, um, actually this is worthwhile now. It doesn't have to be well to a race or team for me to want to see the investment opportunity here or to to invest in the broadcasting um because as we can see the UCI rules actually don't mean much with this whole ride london debacle like does it matter whether or not they're world tour races anymore do you think that the appetite is there now because there's been that push both from a policy point of view and, uh, you know, some people have actually worked really hard to, to make things work, whether they're world tour or not. And just some races are just going to do a crap job no matter which way you cut it, no matter how mm-hmm. many rules are there. Mm-hmm. 
agree with you. Because like that's a a perfect example is Turrigan, right? They they don't want to go world tour. I, I don't I could be incorrect here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But that's a race that has over the years just steadily improved and improved. It's, it's always been a great race, but they put on what two hours of live coverage, and I think GCM picked it up because they wanted to and they care about it. And you know that race director wants to put on a great race, and they'll continue to do that. But like Gracie said, you've got some some races that just will never be able to do a good job, and I'm sure that happens in the men's peloton too. Um, so have we reached reached a tipping point? I think so. People want to watch women's cycling now, and it's just evident by how many races are now um, live and able to watch, and they're not all. I was surprised this year how many races were on GCN that weren't World Tour, and we could watch them, even some of the the smaller ones here in Belgium. So we're definitely getting there, and we could probably do a whole episode on on this conversation. I mean, I think mm. that, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think everyone's raised some really good points. I don't know what the right answer is. I just, yeah, it's just like an interesting conversation. And um, I don't know. I don't think that you should be relegated as a race for the next year. I think you should actually be fined or like have legal action taking against you because they're signing contracts to be the race mm. organizers. And their, their legal contract. So I don't know. Maybe there needs to be worse consequences. <laughs> no, I, I kind of agree with you there. I mean, it it's, it seems like a slap on the wrist, and um, it's not giving. We we need the world tour races to step up and and actually follow the rules for the growth of the sport, and so they're slapping this race on the on the wrist but allowing them to continue on in the world tour when the damage that it does to just completely ignore the rules or to just not live up to expectation is a lot more than that mm. you know yeah we just need tears like uh, that was going to be my that I'm was going to be my subject. next point is actually <laughs> it, there just needs to be a better tiered system because yeah with like teams yeah. and races like the the tier below world tour should still be required to have live coverage maybe it's just less and so the financial obligations aren't as aren't as um much but like yeah we've we've talked about it all year how the, there needs to be like tier more three tiers in the team rankings and maybe races need to have the same but we could talk about this all day and we're already at like 45 minutes. So <laughs> I'm going to segue us back into transfers so we can just like, we can just blast through a couple of the transfers and then we can move on to just a really short tour to Romandy preview. Um, one of the interesting ones that I thought was Georgia Williams and Allison Jackson to EF. Allison, not super uh, surprised about that. I think her TikTok presence is something that EF Education, uh, Tibco, Silicon Valley Bank will be super keen on. Like they just love social media, the social media game uh, when it comes to cycling. And I, I mean, but Allison's also an incredible rider. So I'm excited to see Allison um, bring a lot of experience to that team and a. Uh, I feel like she is the type of rider that because of her um, upbeat attitude that 
she brings a positive atmosphere to the teams that she goes to. So she's actually going back to Tibco because she raced for them previously. But um, that's not as uh, surprising as Georgia Williams going to EF, given that she's been on bike exchange for a really long time. Mm, um, but, but that team's, well, I don't have to chime in. Gracie raced on that team a long time. That team's changed a lot. Um, and Please chime in. <laughs> Please chime in. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's definitely... No, that, that team has changed a lot and, yeah, um, I guess I only raced one year with it when it was under different management and the things that I've heard behind the scenes, it's actually no surprise that a rider like her has left. And if if you look at the riders that they're pulling in now, it's almost that they're desperate to get riders because they've lost a lot of the quality. And there are some great riders on that team and I really hope that you know, their their future continues to be bright there, but it's going back to this whole word of culture that we've been talking about today. I think it's lost a lot of its culture and you even see in the men's side that they, they've they lost a lot of and are losing some of their, their great writers too. So that says something about what's going on there and um, it's sad. It's really sad actually. For me, the, the big thing was when Spratty left as well, it's like, okay, well, I that team's not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a lot to be said for someone that's been on the same team for a long time needing mm. a bit of change to like reignite the spark in their career a bit because mm, you can definitely, definitely languish at one if you're at one yeah, team. Yeah, I agree with time. that too. Um and for in terms of Sprite, I think Trek's a great move for her. Um, she's super motivated, um, very excited to be racing to a Romandy because, you know, this whole year she's just been building up, building up, building up. So um, it would be great if we can watch her in action there because it's it's nice to hear riders still excited to be racing at this time of year. We'll get into that because looking at the start list is like, I was pretty surprised to see a lot of big names showing up to like a post world championship race feel like it's super easy to just like turn your brain off after the worlds and have the season be done. But there's quite a lot of good riders going to Rome D. Um, moving on because we are on a time crunch now. Uh, Canyon Stram, obviously losing Alice Barnes to human powered health. Ella Harris to Nicole Wahoo. Michaela Harvey is going to UAE and Lisa Klein. We already talked about her going to Trek, but they picked up the uh, British national champ, Alice Towers from Nicole Wahoo and Micah... Vanderdoon, Dune. Um, so picking up a couple young riders to fill some spots at Canyon Stram. Confirmed Florida Mackay is going to Movistar with Leanna Lippert, um, which we we talked about previously, I believe, but I don't know if it was confirmed. So it has been confirmed. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Package deal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're only missing Lebu. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Rihanna Marcus extended with Jumbo Visma through 2025. Obviously, like these long contracts are not really a thing that we used to see in the women's Peloton, but now they're becoming more and more um, m- m- common. And Rihanna Marcus, she's the Dutch national champion and she's had some pretty good results, but she's also not like a superstar rider. Like, I feel like we see these long contracts for riders like, 
you know, Van Vluten or really, really good riders. And not that Rihanna is not a really, really good rider, but she's also, she doesn't win, you know, 10 races a year. Um, so for her to sign a lengthy contract like this, I thought was really cool. And it's just kind of like a, um, another sign of the professionalism of the sport that we're, that teams are able to secure that kind of, um, those kind of sponsorships and deals for that long. Does that make sense? Yeah. Everyone's nodding, but this is a podcast, so no one can hear you. (laughs) No one can see you. (laughs) Yeah, but I agree, Abby. It's Uh, great to see that a rider who plays such a big role in that team, um, she does a ton of work mm -hmm. to help, um, you know, we'll call them the leaders on the team, get results. So it's cool to see, I guess we'll say Domestique getting such a long contract because normally those are the people who could be hunting just the the two-year contracts. Um, I mean, she's a Domestique who only really kind of emerged out of that domestique role this year by winning the nationals and also the handful of really incredible results she got in time trials all season long. She won that stage in Norway last year as well. That was like, I feel like that was kind of her, like a turning point in her career. That was when everyone was like, okay, wait, I think that we've been pigeonholing her into like a domestique role, but actually like she should get a little bit more freedom. And I feel like this contract extension, Yumbo Visma will give her more in the future. Yeah. And of course, I mean, we don't know when Voss is planning on um, stepping away from the sport, but they. No, don't say that. Yeah. Never. Okay. <laughs> we went quick. <laughs> <laughs> um AG Insurance, who is another team that is hoping to jump into the World Tour next year, um, signed Romy Casper from Yumbo Visma. They also picked up Lada Hintala, who is coming back from retirement. Uh, she had a baby in, I believe it was January or February of this year. And um, she was on trek. She's, she's an incredible rider, Finnish national champion multiple times, and she's won races like uh Rhonda Van no Gent Wilhelm Gent Drenta Oct she won yeah I'm pretty sure anyway she's a really good rider and so she's she's also been really really open about um mental health and to see her come back is I think really exciting um I think it was after it was maybe during the pandemic year in 2020 when she was on Saratus at WNT um that she opened up a lot about the, the mental struggle of being a professional athlete that, yeah, it was an incredible interview that she had. So that that's a good amount of the recent transfers. We've obviously talked about it a little bit. Um, did I, did I miss any big ones from the last like two weeks? Silence. All right. Before we talk about the tour to Romandy, This week's episode is also brought to you by Shimano and their new GRX RX 870 carbon gravel wheels, 870. I'm not sure. Anyway, tested by Shimano's top gravel athletes and proven on the roads of Unbound, the new GRX carbon wheels are lightweight, responsive, and ready for any mixed terrain. The 25 millimeter internal rim width is designed for tires ranging from 32 to 50 millimeters and Shimano's cup and cone hubs provide proven reliability, no matter how far down the road, less traveled your adventures take you. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this episode. Tour de Romandy, three stages, the end of the women's world tour. feels like it's been the longest year ever. Like, huh? How is it? 
it's too much. It's too much. Anyway, <laughs> Tortorondi is the first two stages are pretty mountainous. There's, I think, five category three climbs in the first stage, and then it's a pretty flat run into the finish, maybe like 13K. Um, the actual details are in the preview on cyclingtips.com that I wrote. And the second stage is a huge mountaintop stage with a category one climb before they climb to the finish stage three looks like it's a good day for a reduced bunch sprint with a couple category three climbs. Um, I think there's two category three climbs, but they're pretty, they're earlier in the stage and then it basically just descends to the finish in Geneva. So I think the interesting thing about this race is the start list. We've got like when I was putting together the list of favorites, I mean, Anamik is on it for one. Um, it's not confirmed yet, the start list, as we're recording, but Anamik is on the provisional start list, so she would debut her world champ, Movistar world champ jersey at this race. And also with stage two, if she is on the start line, it's almost like a guaranteed win at this point. Um, but there are other riders who are really exciting for me. Liana Lippert is really exciting. It's, it seems like she's come into really, really good form in this tail end of the season. Um, Veronica Ewers, who just finished second at both of the Italian one days is super exciting for this race for me, um, with the amount of climbing and Elise Langborghini is flying. She like basically walked away with both of the Italian one days, um, this week. So they, yeah, it's a pretty exciting start list for a race so late in the season that I think everybody just is ready for the off season. I've already switched on <laughs> my cross brain. <laughs> I'm yeah. like getting ready for the cross. I think I might even I say this every year, but like try and race one of the amateur races. <gasps> that would be so yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, do I think I will. I've been running a lot, so I'll probably be running a lot if I do one of those races. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. I've committed myself to racing a mountain bike race next summer. Yay. A marathon. Really? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I made promises. Okay. Yeah. As as Amy Amy would say, pick sort don't count. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Roman D is the end of the women's world tour. Um the the longest world it feels long because it was the longest women's world tour season that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. And even before the world tour was um in, invented, impl impl imp I don't know. My brain doesn't work. I'm ready for off season. Anyway, before when it was the well, strap in because it starts in Australia in January next year. I know year. it's like we don't even have like that much of a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the before when it was just World Cups and stuff, it was obviously like one day events, so it was still shorter than the year that we've had this year. Seems like a, it's been a really like, is it just, is it just me? Gracie, you've been around the sport for a lot longer. Does it, does this feel like the longest year ever? I reckon COVID oh, might have. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, COVID, yeah. But, but that was like, Weird I feel year. like that was, mm, I feel like it was my favorite year because everything was just like packed into like three months. And so it was just like, <laughs> like you just. Yeah. It, it really just depends on your perspective. You like, you just had a baby. Of course you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
COVID year for me was awful. So I've just put that in a box (laughs) and this this year's been super fun. So I've got no complaints, but you deserve a rest. (laughs) Well, I do. I get... (laughs) I'm going on vacation. One of the reasons that we that I said that we only have two group pods left is because I'm going on vacation for like five weeks. Um, but don't worry, the podcast will still exist. We just have interviews. We have some really, really exciting interviews coming up. Well, Tour de Romandie, honestly, like even though it's been a long year, it looks like it's going to be a really exciting race. I assume that we will be able to watch it, that we, but we just don't know yet about the details. Um, but check out the preview that I wrote. Anyone have anything else to add? Everyone tune in next week. Last week, the whole gang is together till the the Debbie special, the Debbie Christmas special. Yep. (laughs) Tilda's going to like wipe the floor with all of us in that quiz. (laughs) I think she needs like a handicap of some kind. (laughs) I'm busy that week. I'm busy that week. It's fine. (laughs) I don't think so. Uh... All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We'll be back to talk about a recap of the Women's World Tour calendar next week and the Tour de Romandy. We can dive a little bit more into some of the conversations we had today, I think. But it's been great. Mm -hmm.